Is this thing on? Or... <laughs> this is the Rookie Sports Report, hosted by Matthew Frizzell. Four runs off the Detroit Tigers, who are the 10th worst in all of baseball. And Logan Weber. But this man was swallowed whole by a whale. Presented by 96.9, and AM 1060, ESPN, The Jock. Everybody love everybody! Come on! You know, I'm actually thankful we've been off for a little bit now because listening back to that intro of me once again trashing on the Cardinals, we didn't have to, nor we have to really talk about the NL wildcard game in which the Cardinals lost 3-1. to one on walk-off fashion, but to be fair, the better team won. Cardinal fans on Twitter have to realize that and accept it, even though they don't want to. So you gotta take your lumps. You were lucky to be a wild-card team anyway. You were a meddling team coming in, and then somehow we won 17 in a row to get into that wild-card spot, but nah, it is what it is. And what this is, is the Rookie Sports Board Podcast. I know, we've been gone for a long time now, I think what now seven eight days since we done our last podcast. I think last Wednesday, so it's been it's been eight days, and I will fully take the blame for seven of those eight days. Uh, Friday, Saturday, or Friday? I guess not. Yeah, we didn't we don't do podcast Saturday Sunday, so I guess I'll give right. myself a little bit of a little bit of leeway yeah. with that. We're one. weekday people. We don't do stuff on weekends. Yeah. Uh. So, but Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're all on me. Uh, Friday was on me. I had I went home. Um, Thursday you had an eye appointment, right? Yep. So that that's the you, you, Thursday was the only day that we didn't do the podcast because you had something else to do. But Friday I I went back to my hometown to watch the homecoming festivities and my little sister who's a senior and um do that. And then Saturday, my dad and I went up to my alma mater, Northwest Missouri State, to watch them play football. Um, got to see my little brother, and so, and then we watched the, uh, we watched the Iowa game. So that was uh, it was a good weekend. But uh, I got home on Sunday. I left Sunday morning from my parents' house to come back home, uh, and I worked three to ten on Sunday. You know, had a had a pretty normal day, and then Monday morning I woke up, and my entire body was in shambles. I woke up with a horrible stomach ache that sort of just like spread throughout my body during the course of the day. My stomach stopped hurting around, I don't know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, but I started to get like body aches, right? I just, I was, I just didn't want to get off the couch because like it, everything just sort of like, it didn't hurt. It like ate, right? Like it sort of, it sort of felt like, I don't know, like when you hear like a tree, right? When it like sort of like like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't really know the best way to describe it. That's what my body felt it like. It creaks. Yeah. yeah. Like I felt or like close. every time I moved, my body was going to start like creaking. Like my bones were rubbing against each other. It just was not a good feeling. And then Tuesday morning, woke up, same thing. My stomach started to hurt really bad. And then I started to get like cold chills throughout the day. Like my body was sweating, uh, but I was freezing to death. And then yesterday, I just had an all-day headache that sort of just, hmm. like, came and went throughout the day. Uh, just, I was in a really, really bad way. So, I'm finally back on a Thursday uh, after having what I can only describe as the laziest week I've had since I was hired here. But, hey, thankfully you've had your days off. 
as well. I yeah. know you're scheduled to work here today, and uh, you know that because I took a photo for you. You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I know you're working here today, but no, nah, it's good to have you back. And, y- you know, personal health is the most important thing, you know. I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing the podcast, obviously, but I mean, us doing the podcast isn't going to determine whether we live or die. And I've actually enjoyed the past two to three days off because I've gotten some stuff to do uh, physically and mentally. I'm actually, I'm in Springfield this week taking care of my sister's uh, beagle. Mm. Uh, they're off celebrating their two-year anniversary. Shout out, Lindsay Hanson Cavillo and Chris Cavillo. Now, two years tied the knot. Back on October 12th, I was... The, uh, I was one of the groomsmen and uh, <clears throat> one of the more handsome ones. Ah, there you go. Though I w- you know, looking back on those photos, I wish I was in my body that I am now than I was two years ago, but that's a subject for another day. But uh, no, they're off in Arizona and Utah mm. this week celebrating their uh, celebrating their anniversary. So I got the task, and I call it a task. It's a pleasure to take care of their sister's beagle because she, even though she's demonic, she is... <laughs> She, at times, can be a brat, but she's adorable. Uh, I love taking care of her. And also, I get their house to the, to uh, myself for the week. So, it's a nice little two-story house uh, right off of... Actually, I shouldn't go into details of where they're... That's, a, that's a solid idea. <laughs> yeah. It's solid just, Let's plan. just say it's here in Springfield, and I live in the city of Ozark, which is about 10, 15 miles uh, south of Springfield. So, I've gotten to have a earlier drive... Or a... Uh, I shouldn't say earlier. A quicker drive here to the station. Uh... And honestly, dude, and this is bad for my diet, I've just gotten fast food the entire week just because I'm too lazy to go grocery shopping for just a week. That's fair. Like, I've gotten Taco Bell. I got Taco Bell on Monday, McDonald's on Tuesday, and Wednesday. What did I get for Wednesday? I don't remember what I had for lunch. Oh, I had I had Domino's pizza for Wednesday. Mm. I ordered a pizza. Domino's is good stuff, man. I know. And it's so convenient. Like, Oh man, there's it's one of the many reasons why our country leads like all of the nations in obesity. But Domino's has an app. Yeah. On their phone. Everybody has an app now. It's, it's crazy. so simple. I just go on the app, say, all right, I just click in, hey, I want a medium uh bacon and black olive pizza delivered to this address, blah, blah, blah. And just like that, you know, twenty or twenty one bucks later, that's the one thing I don't like about delivery. It's there. It's so convenient. I don't have to get off my lazy you-know-what on the couch watching YouTube or whatever. I can just sit on my phone and on the couch, not literally sit on my phone, just sit down, look at my phone, couple clicks, yes, pay this in cash, blah, 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 bam. I've got a medium pizza in my house, and I've got my lunch for today. Did you... Was that just like a random order, or do you actually put black olives on your pizza? Oh, I love black olives, yeah. I love black olives, too, but not on my pizza. Really? I mean, you get me, like, a Supreme or something, maybe. Ugh, I, I can't stand but, Supreme. I, like, I don't like all the veggies that are on, like, a Supreme pizza. Like, But the- but black olives, that works. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, man. Oh, my mom was giving me a hard time this weekend when I was home. Oh, it was it was rough. I got it. So it was Friday afternoon. So right. Like I come home Thursday night after I got off work here. Right. So I got off work here at 10 p.m. I drove home. So I got back to my parents house at, I don't know, 1 130 in the morning. So, you know, I slept on the couch Friday morning. My mom wakes me up at like 9 a.m. Uh, and my dad's my dad's new car had come to the house. They had it. They had it delivered to the house, which is apparently a thing you can do with cars now. I'd yeah. seen commercials for it, but I didn't think like it was that common of a thing. But nope, this car was bought in uh in, in Liberty, Missouri, which is about twenty five minutes from my house. 
and they had driven it down to my parents' house and delivered it to us. So we drove it around and everything, and then we went to, like, the pep rally for homecoming, which is, like, outside on our school's football field now. Um, It didn't used to be. It used to be in the gym, and it was, like, sort of just for high school students, but now that it's outside, it's, like, people can actually just, like, come and watch parents and stuff like that. Yeah. So went to that, and then, of course, school lets out, and around 2 p.m. or whatever, there's the big parade and everything, right, that kind of goes through it. Well, I don't know if other towns do that or not, but that it's right small town USA. Yeah, I'm gonna say Ozark or Springfield does not do that. Yeah, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, in our hometown, we have like a parade, and so they have like different floats and stuff, right? They drive through the whole thing, and you know, big trailers with hay bales that the football team sits on, all that stuff, all that, all that real small town, you know, BFE Midwest sort of thing. Uh, so we, we, we sat there and we watched that and we got back to the house and my parents had bought pizza the night before. My mom had bought buffalo chicken pizza with pineapple on it. Oh, no. And if you recall, a couple weeks ago no. uh, on the podcast, I had said pineapple does not belong on pizza. And I stand by that statement. Oh, my but gosh. she did that purposefully to mess with me. And I was, I was very taken aback. I was like, Mom, really? Like, pineapple on pizza. This is what we're going with. And the other thing, you know, and that's, that's, maybe that's part of the reason why I don't like taco pizza is because, you know, they like, sometimes taco pizza, they'll put beans on it. Who puts beans on a pizza either? That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit with what you want to get accomplished. It's gross, and I don't like it. Oh, my God. So I was, I was just flabbergasted. chicken pizza, though. I've never had that before. Oh, it's solid stuff, man. It's good. It's really good. Mm. I like it. But a man, lot. she just ruined it by putting pineapple yeah, on it. Yeah, she freaking put pineapple on it. It's Ugh. like a I don't know. It's just I, I have an issue. I have a really big issue with like consistency when it comes to food. Um, whether that's the texture or the taste of it, right? Like I'm not a big fan of like the sour and sweet thing or like the salty like salty and sweet, sweet and sour, I can yeah. sometimes do. Um, but like pineapple is just like a very strong sweet you know, sort of substance, like almost bordering on sour. It's so sweet when you eat it. And then you throw that on a pizza and like something like buffalo chicken, which is like spicy. Yeah. Like spicy and sweet. I don't really see the mixture there. Like it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. And like, I don't know, pineapple hot. That's weird. Yeah. It's supposed to be cold and sweet. Like, you know, when you, right, right when you, when you cut it open, you know, or, or you get it out of the can or whatever, right? That It's supposed to be sweet and sort of cold or lukewarm when you eat it like that. Hot? How can it be? How can it taste good when it's hot like that? I just don't get it. I, I, I don't get it. I don't like the concept of it. But, you know, I, I, I rag on you for putting olives on your pizza. I would much rather have olives on my pizza than pineapple. So, I, I there's love, that. I love black olives. I like Sometimes, whenever I just want a snack, I'll just get a can of them and just eat them. Straight yeah, up. I used to do that too. I as love a kid. Bla- oh, I love black yep. olives. But you nah. black olives or green olives? Which one do you prefer? Black. I hate green. Really? But actually, I actually I can't say that because I've never had green before. Oh, so. I like both of them a okay. lot. The okay. the green olives are a lot more sour than black olives. Oh, are. that may be a detractor for me though. Uh, I love it because black olives are really salty. I like the like the texture mm-hmm. and the taste of them. And yeah, but no hot pineapple on pizza that'll make you sick to your stomach. You know what also will Sorensen burnt toast. From the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, but, uh, yeah, a tough one for Kansas City. 
I, you know, dude, you, you kind of mentioned it two or three weeks ago, you know, the AFC is going to have to run through now GHA Stadium or Arrowhead, but after what the Bills did, that's kind of into question now. Actually, it's probably a statement now. It's no longer going to have to come through Kansas City. You know, Buffalo with a big win in Kansas City, and, you know, as a Chiefs fan yourself, is it time to start pushing the panic button? Uh, 100%. 100%. So, but for multiple reasons. So, of course, obviously, yes, the defense is an issue. And, you know, the Chiefs were without Chris Jones. That's a problem in and of itself. Um, But Chris Jones doesn't get you 18 points during the course of a game. There is absolutely no pass rush from this team. We haven't seen it. And everybody wants to blame the secondary and the and the linebackers and whatever. They want to blame that back seven. Which, yes, that back seven has, has a lot of blame to take as well. But it's not 100% on them. You know what I mean? Oh, excuse me. You know what I mean? Yeah. This front, this front four has gotten no pressure, whether, whether Chris Jones has been healthy or not. And I don't know if things are going to change whenever Chris Jones comes back and you've got him and Frank Clark healthy. I think Frank Clark has been just a straight-up waste of money. He hasn't generated a lot of pass rush throughout his career. You know, his, his career stats have just dwindled since he left Seattle. Just every year, he had he had back-to-back great years in Seattle. He had that year where he had maybe 13 or 14 sacks, and then we trade for him, and he had like nine and a half, seven, four, and like doesn't have a sack this season. Where is the where is the 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 pressure? Yeah, where is the pressure? Where is the the statistical output that we saw from him when we paid him a hundred plus million dollars or ninety five or whatever we paid him? An egregious amount, nonetheless. Yeah. 26% of this Kansas City Chiefs team's this this Chiefs team's salary cap is directly put into that defensive line. 26% of the salary cap is just that front four. And they're generating little to no pass rush whatsoever. That is a problem. And I feel like nobody is really talking about it. Uh, on the flip side of that, the linebackers have had their fair share of issues, right? Um, you know, personally, me, myself, I am a little bit biased when it comes to Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman because, yes, they're both Iowa Hawkeyes they're, uh, through and through. Does ben, does, does ben Neiman, should he be a starting linebacker in the NFL? Probably not. I think he, he, I think he has a place on this Chiefs roster. He's a very, very smart football player. He's sound in terms of the game plan, in terms of his progressions, that sort of thing, you know, play calls. And he's a great special teams player. There is a place in the NFL for a great special teams player. There is. Um, I would know, ask my cousin Dave, he spent seven years in the NFL as a special teams guy. Okay, he won two Super Bowls with the New York Giants, basically as the one of the go-to guys in terms of special teams for those great Giants teams that won those two Super Bowls. That is how the, the NFL operates, just like any professional sport. You find one thing or two things that you're really good at, and you stick to those things, and you can find a spot on a roster. Okay, you know, in the NFL, it's, can I be a just a sure tackler? You know, just be a guy that will constantly make the tackle. Unlike Dan Sorensen, you can find yourself on an NFL roster. 
Dan Sorensen has just made his mark in this league by making just like one or two just completely off the wall, out there plays during the course of a game that you don't expect a guy like that to make. Like we saw week one against the Browns, right? When he gets out off the edge and, you know, Baker Mayfield's looking to the sideline, looking to throw the ball away. Dan Sorensen just sort of dives, clips Mayfield by the ankles. Mayfield throws a wobbler and it's picked off. And ball game, you know, that sort of thing. It's just like very Dan Sorensen. Dan Sorensen lays the boom on that punter in the divisional round uh, two years ago, right? When when the when the Texans decided to go for it up twenty four to nothing, stupid. Bill O'Brien kind of move. Yeah, it just stuff like that, and, and um, it's just sort of bizarre the way his career trajectory has gone. But it, 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 his trajectory should start to go down, downhill fairly quickly. Okay, I don't know what happened to Juan Thornhill. I don't know if it's a playbook thing. I don't know if it's an attitude thing. I have no idea. I have trouble understanding the concept of this whole thing. I'm going to cough. Give me just one second. <coughs> yeah, it sounds like you're still sick. Hopefully nah, not. I, just, I felt it coming on like two, like maybe 30 seconds before Your I actually did. Your throat's as fired up as you are right Apparently. now. Apparently. One Thornhill is a guy that had a great rookie year. He He showed a lot of talent as a rookie. He's had injury issues and things like that. And, and you know, Dan Sorensen sort of made enough plays to make a name for himself and move up the depth chart. And then Thornhill had that pretty serious injury. I, I don't know what the story is behind Juan Thornhill. Is he just, like, having difficulty grasping Steve Spagnuolo's offense? I don't really know what it is. But I, I to show you, right, for to just to give you an example— of how far Juan Thornhill has fallen from the good graces of this coaching staff. The first game, or maybe the second game of the season, right? This is a guy, Juan Thornhill, who was the starting free safety for this Chiefs team two years ago. Or three, two years ago, right? During the, during the game, I think it was the Ravens game because there was a ton of wind, right? I think it was during the Baltimore Ravens game. Um, the wind was blowing during a kickoff. And somebody had to come and hold the ball, right? Somebody's got to go and sit there and hold it on a tee for Butker to kick it off. That guy was Juan Thornhill. The guy went from being the starting free safety for the Kansas City Chiefs to being the guy that has to hold the ball on kickoffs. That's called falling from grace, and I want to know why. I think a lot of Chiefs fans want to know what is going on with Juan Thornhill and why is he not getting a ton of snaps at free safety. Why is he not the starting free safety? Because obviously, Dan Sorensen is not it. He got burnt so many times deep. during. The, I mean, like, at one point, Josh Allen had, like, nine completions for, like, 200 yards. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it was not dink and dunk, seven, eight yards a pop. No, he was burning guys deep in 40, 50, 60-yard passes. And and Tyron Matthew, right, The Tyron Matthew's just sitting there Right at the line of scrimmage, like, what the hell are yeah. these guys he doing? He sees Sorensen, and then literally 10 to 12 yards in front of Sorensen is the Bills receiver running into the end zone for a touchdown. Yeah, and honestly, I think Dan Sorensen leads the NFL in missed tackles at the same time. He doesn't use his arms. It boggles my mind the way that this man tackles. He just puts his head down, right? He like literally just puts the crown of his helmet down, parallel with the turf, and then just dives at the guy. That's that's not tackling. 
Not form tackling, at least. Like, no. you're taught. That's sparing. Yeah. yeah, you're taught at six years old. Lead with your head up. Put your head, right? Put your, put your, your, the side of your face across that man's chest. Wrap your arms up and bring him down. Now, I'm not naive enough to under, I, to know to not know that that's not going to happen every play. No, especially with NFL players with how shifty they are. Right. Yeah. It's not going to happen every play. But I can assure you, you're going to tackle a lot more guys using that method than using the Dan Sorensen uh, freaking turtle. tackling. Yeah, the <laughs> turtle, turtle method. <laughs> yeah, it just makes his body into a bullet and just hope, you know, just dive at the guy and like, I hope I make the tackle. We'll see. Let's hope for the best. Oh, I'm just... And... The, yeah, the defense has a lot of issues, and the defense should take the majority of the blame. But the offense has issues, too. Specifically, turnovers. The turnovers have to come to an end. Fumbles. Um, and it's it's sort of... It's like a pandemic with this Chiefs team. The, the, the turnovers and the fumbles. And it's made its way onto the second unit, the special teams guys. As well, we saw a special teams fumble uh, last Sunday. So there's there's so many issues going on throughout this Chiefs team. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has thrown six picks this year, but most of them haven't been his fault, though. I, I about half of them haven't been his fault. Yeah, I will say that. Now the 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 interception that came um, off the, the the Demarcus Robinson throw, right? First of all, it was behind Demarcus Robinson. Yes, he should have made the catch, but Mahomes threw a no look, completely unnecessary. Yeah. Didn't need a no-look in that situation. That's on Mahomes. And I know there's a lot of people that are going to defend Mahomes and say, oh, it's not his fault. He was he did the no-look to look off the defense and blah, 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 blah. You can no-look for about a half a second, right? You can pull that ball and start going through your motion and then take your eyes off and look at who you're throwing the ball to. Right. Bang. Uh, so, I mean, it's not, it's not a difficult thing. You, you don't need to no-look in a situation like that. But... And he threw it behind him because of it. Because he no-looked, he threw it behind the receiver. Receiver couldn't get both hands on it. Tips up in the air, interception. That's the way it is. But Pedro Mahomes has six interceptions this year. In five games. You want to know what his career high is? I want to say six. Six. Yeah. In a 16-game season. He has tied his career high in interceptions in a single year. Five games into the season. That's not great. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had fumble issues, and now he's out. He's on the IR now. And now the Chiefs are trying to trade for a running back. How about we trade for some defensive help? I I, I trust Daryl Williams to get the job done. He did it before Clyde Edwards-Alaire got there anyway, yeah. I trust Daryl Williams to get the job done. We don't need a running back. We need defensive help. We need a safety. Okay, we need something to help this team drop passes, fumbles, no pass rush, terrible secondary help from the free safety, um, bad tackling. It's just... All the signs of a struggling team. Yeah, it's not one thing specifically that you can point to and say, oh yeah, that's the issue. As much as people want to, want to right? As much as Chiefs fans on Twitter and, and Facebook would, oh my God, Facebook, I'm so... Blah. <laughs> Facebook. Oh man, it's just, you know, it's just like people, it's just like older people that don't have Twitter or people that aren't cool enough to be on Twitter go on Facebook. Yeah. And, and you know, like people that use Facebook and Twitter, I'm with you, all right? Fine by me. But if you just use Facebook, you either 
you are either somebody's parent or grandparent, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you're a younger person who just doesn't use Twitter, which makes you sort of strange. Okay? And those people are just on Twitter bashing this defense and that's it. Yes, the defense is the pro- is, is it is one of the issues, but not the only one. Okay, drop passes are an issue. Lack of ball protection is an issue with the fumbles and the interceptions. Issue. Okay, the 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 lack of a pass rush is an issue. The lack of tackling is an issue. But it's not you can't just encapsulate the whole defense and say you guys are the issue. Tyron Matthews been good as he always is. You know, Legarius Sneed has done his thing as he usually does. Charvarius Ward has struggled. Dan Sorensen has struggled. The front four have struggled. Anthony Hitchens has been the team's leading tackler, as he was the year before and the year before that, and that's just sort of what he does. Nick Bolton, people have been going at him. He's a rookie. Are you really trying to put this much on a guy that six months ago was a college student? They are if your team is six, or they are if your team is two and three after five games. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that, but I mean, a year ago I was a college student. Okay, I don't have the responsibility that Nick Bolton has. Sure. So let's calm down a little bit when it comes to that. This is a guy. He's now coming into his sixth week as an NFL player. He's not going to be all the way there yet. Okay. That that doesn't happen often. Okay, the Jamar Chases of the world. Don't happen very often, which that dude, woo! Somebody, uh, I saw something ESPN put out like their their quarter season whatever, and it said Mac Jones was the offensive rookie of the year. Stupid. No, it should be Jamar Chase. What are like? What are we discussing right Remember now? Remember when fans in like preseason week two were worried about him because he was dropping balls, and he talked about like how there's no stripe on like the NFL ball compared to like the college football. Yeah, people were like panicking over that. God, people, come on. He's come eight. on. I think he's doing okay. Yeah, and the he, Bengals themselves are doing okay, though they lost to Green Bay seventh, in a tough one. He's seventh in the NFL in receiving yards, mind you, on only 23 receptions, which is nuts. So he's averaging 16 yards per catch. No, excuse me, 19.8 yards a catch, which is third in the league. Uh, and he's got five touchdown passes, five touchdown receptions in five games which is tied with Dawson Knox, Cooper Cup, and DK Metcalf, as well as Hollywood Brown, for the second most in the league. Mike Williams is having an outstanding year. He's got six touchdown catches. As a rookie, you know, the guy should be rookie of the year. It should not be Mac Jones. Just because just because Mac Jones is the only rookie quarterback that's that not, isn't you, being, hasn't yeah. been abysmal. That's not, you know what, eating the bed. You know. Yeah, it, it should be Jamar Chase. But... Yes, I, I think that it's time to maybe start looking for the panic button. You know, maybe go around the office and find where it's at. You know, put a, maybe, maybe put a little sign up that's like, in case of emergency, press this button. Because for the, like the last four or five, six years, the Chiefs haven't really had to press that button. They haven't even had to know where that button was at. Uh-huh. Dating back to the Alex Smith era. Chiefs fans didn't even know. What, some may not even know the panic button exists. That sort of thing, you know? There's a lot of Chiefs fans that weren't real diehard Chiefs fans until three, four, yeah, five, Yeah, whenever six. they made it to the uh, AFC Championship game. Yeah, yeah, maybe since the Andy Reid hire, you know? 
And and Chiefs fans haven't really had to panic because we've been a playoff team. We've been a contender. We've been a Super Bowl champion. Stuff like that. So there's, you know, there's probably a, a clothes pile and some 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 papers and some old takeout food and whatever on top of the panic button. So we haven't really had to pay attention for it. So I don't know if it's time to press the panic button, but I think it's time to definitely find it and know where it is. I will say this. That button's going to be destroyed if the Chiefs lose to the Redskins this upcoming Sunday. Because, yeah, they handedly beat the Eagles, but they allowed the Eagles to put up a lot of points for an offense that's not that good. And then they go, they are playing in Washington, and they do have a good defense, but the Chiefs, above all else, are the better team in that matchup, and they should win it handily. But, you know, (laughs) I thought the Chiefs would take out their frustrations of previous losses against the Bills, and, well... That game happened. Of course, the Bills winning that one in Arrowhead. G or Gia Field, whatever you want to call it now, by a final score of 38 to 20. So that happened there in Kansas City. But up now to a more positive topic, of course, involving you. That Penn State Iowa game. Woo! I, I watched that whole game at my house. You know, I will admit, I guess it was somewhat boring because it was kind of a defensive showcase. There it was a lot of sloppy football. That's Iowa football. I lady. guess it, but that is Iowa football. They forced four interceptions, and Petrus in the Iowa offense just barely did enough. You know, I kind of texted you uh, whenever they threw a touchdown. Um, trying to pull up the guy's name here. They threw the touchdown to... Oh, was it the late one? The one yeah, that put it Regani. Regani. Nico yeah. Regani. Yeah, yep. I texted you saying, like, of course it'd be a tight end. You're just like, dude, he's not a tight end. He's a wide receiver. And I said, dude, I'm sorry. He was lined up on the line. And you're just like, well, yeah, he's this and that, so he might as well just be a tight end. But yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, it was a fantastic game defensively. Uh, Petrus goes 17 to 31 for 195 and two touchdowns. Not obviously, you know, blowing away the world, you know, not the greatest of performances, but that Hawkeye defense, man, it's it's something to be reckoned with. Yeah. I will say that. And, and see, here's the thing I didn't know that was like what they do, the Hawkeye players. They ball hawk. They, you know, they don't follow the receivers, they kind of just stay in their zones and they ball hawk. Why don't more teams do that? I, I don't understand. Because more teams don't have Phil Parker as their defensive coordinator. Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator for the Iowa Hawkeyes, is the best defensive coordinator in football. That's just the way it is. This is an Iowa team, and yes, everybody wants to put so much credit on guys like Brett Venables at Clemson and all these guys at these major programs, Clemson, Alabama, uh, you know, uh, Auburn, Georgia, Florida State, uh, right? SEC programs. Yeah, all yeah. these big these big blue chip power five program, right? And Iowa's a power five program, but it's not a blue chip. Not blue it's not chip. a blue blood, you know, sort of competing for a national championship year in and year out sort of thing. Iowa is a team that recruits two and three, maybe the occasional four star on very rare occurrences. They'll pull a five star like AJ Epinesa, who was the second round draft pick now plays for the Buffalo Bills. Um, it's mostly a program that, you know, pulls in, two- and three-star recruits, and and they just sort of, they develop. That's what they do. You know, some of the some of the best players we've seen. George Kittle was a three-star coming out of high school. He was a wide receiver. Mm. Three-star wide receiver coming out of high school in Oklahoma. Iowa offered him on signing day. He committed to the University of Iowa on a scholarship offer on signing day. He was going to walk on at either Oklahoma or Iowa uh, or he was going to commit to Army. That was the only scholarship offer he had was Army in terms of Division One. Yeah. 
Iowa offered him on signing day, and now he's a top five tight end in the NFL. You know, TJ Hawkinson, same thing. Three-star kid from a tiny little town called Sheridan, Iowa, which is where my dad's best friend grew up, um, and turned him into something. Brandon Scherf, um, who is all-pro guard for the Washington Redskins, was a three-star quarterback. Now, he was a 6'5", 260-pound quarterback coming out of high school from Marshalltown, Iowa, but he comes to Iowa, plays left tackle, is a top five draft pick, and becomes one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. That's just what Iowa does, you know? They don't go out and recruit the big-name guys. Occasionally, they'll be able to pull in a guy like that. Like I said, uh, A.J. Epinesa, or now like we have Justin Jacobs, who's a, a linebacker on this team, and he had the the first pick in the game um, on the on the eight or, eight or nine-yard line. He was a four-star top 100 recruit coming out of high school. But, like, I mean, like Tyler Linderbaum, right? Iowa center who uh, Pro Football Focus has as, like, the number nine player in the draft, in this year's draft class. Um, they have, right, everybody coming out saying he's, like, the best offensive lineman in college football, which he is. He was a three-star coming out of high school, the number 400 player in the country. And he was recruited as a defensive tackle. He started his Iowa career on defense, played his entire freshman year on defense, and then during bowl prep, his redshirt freshman season, they uh, he, right Kirk Ferentz, the Iowa head coach, brings him into his office and says, "Hey, uh, we want you to play center next year." So during bowl prep, before the what was that? I'm trying to remember what year that might have been. That would have been what bowl do they play in? I'm that's what I'm trying to remember. It would have been 2018. I want to say. No, it would have been 2019 because he's a junior this year. Okay. He would have been the Holiday Bowl against USC. He gets moved to center. And you're like, uh, okay, why? No, it wasn't. It was 2018. It was 2018, which would have been the Outback Bowl against Mississippi State. And he gets moved to center during bowl prep. Say so in 2019, Iowa played USC in the Holiday Bowl. Yeah, it was 2018. Okay. Yeah, it was 2018 in the Outback Bowl against Mississippi right. State. Um, and so he's like, all right. So he moves during bowl prep, and six months later, seven months later, he's starting at center for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And now he's the best offensive lineman in football, in college football. It, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. Riley Moss wasn't even a scholarship guy coming into Iowa. He was a uh, gray shirt offer, which meant that his first year on campus, he had to pay his own way, and then he would be on scholarship afterwards. He didn't even come to Iowa on a full-ride scholarship. Right. And now he's tied for the FBS lead with four interceptions. Now he's hurt, so we'll, we'll see how long he's out. The Outback Bowl in 2018 consists of South Carolina and Michigan, in which South Carolina won 26-19. Are you sure it wasn't the 2019 Holiday Bowl? It was the 29. It was the. It would have been 2019 Outback Bowl technically because it was a January 1st bowl game. 19. It was the 2018 season, but it was played on January. Okay, yeah. 1st. Here we go. Iowa defeats Mississippi State 27 to 22. Yeah, which was a. It was a New Year's Day, right? Or yep. maybe January, January 1st, 1st, 2019. Yes. Bingo. Knew it. I'm proud of myself. Um, but that's just sort of what Iowa has always done. You know, it is recruit on these these low, you know, nobody's really heard of these guys. 
sort of names. And they do remarkable things with it. So to, to, to your point, that's just what makes Phil Parker so good is, you know, Clemson and, and Georgia right now, Right, and their defense is the best in college football. Iowa's second, but Georgia has the best defense in college football. But what Georgia is able to do that Iowa isn't is recruit big name guys. You know, they they every guy on that on that defense is a former four or a five star recruit, a ESPN top three hundred guy or whatever, because it's Georgia. Yeah, Iowa is a program full of guys that. Nobody else has really heard of. I mean, Matt Hankins, right? The other starting cornerback for the University of Iowa. He was the number 851 recruit in the country. The number 89 corner coming out of high school. Three interceptions on the year. His statistics that he has put up this season are ridiculous. I think I have the picture right here. In in six games so far this season, in 229 coverage snaps for Matt Hankins, he has allowed one first down. And he's got three interceptions. In 229 coverage snaps, he has allowed one first down. Not bad for an 89th ranked quarterback. That good. He has been that good. It, it, it's a remarkable thing. You know, um, it's just what Iowa does. You know, like Jack Kerner, Iowa's starting free safety. Not even a ranked recruit. Kyler Schott, Iowa starting uh, right guard, not even ranked as a recruit. It's what they do. They they recruit these guys that maybe other programs aren't looking very hard at. You know, guys that fit their program in terms of athletic, in terms of their athleticism, in terms of just their 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 flat out persona, the way they go about their business, the way they play the game. You know, that sort of chip on their shoulder guy is what Iowa looks for defensively, and it works out pretty well. Since 2017, there's not a single team in college football with more interceptions than the Iowa Hawkeyes. In six games this season, they have 16 interceptions. 16 in six games. That's over two and a half interceptions a game that they're averaging. Now, yeah, it helps when you pick off six passes against Maryland or or, or four against Penn State. Which, yeah, think about that for a second. 16 interceptions on the year, two in the last, they're 10 in the last two games, both against Big Ten teams. Pretty insane. Um, Another cough coming? <clears throat> yeah. But it's just what they do. You know, 16 interceptions this season leads college football. They've now gone 28 consecutive games, holding their opponents to 24 points or less. And a, a, a huge shout-out needs to go to the Iowa crowd for that game. Dude, unbelievable. They, eight false starts. Eight. And, and, and at that point, you know... That one drive where right, Sean Clifford leaves the game with the injury, and yeah, we can speculate all we want of if Sean Clifford doesn't get injured, you know, Penn State wins the game. Penn State fans can speculate that all you want. I mean, yeah, they probably do. But guess what? He left the game. You lost. Get over it. Right? Is what it is. Iowa fans know that feeling all too well. So Penn State didn't give up 23 points or 10 points in the fourth quarter when they had a lead. Yeah. Like, come on. Iowa was 9-0 and in 2009. I remember this vividly. Taking on as a Hawkeye fan, yeah, I bet. Taking on Northwestern, you know, this is a team that is bordering on a top five ranking. And 
Our starting quarterback, Ricky Stanzi, goes down with an injury. Stanzi, Against yes. Northwestern. I've got his jersey. And we go out and we lose to Northwestern because Stanzi's hurt and we have to throw in a, a, a new quarterback that hasn't really played all year in James Vandenberg. And then Vandenberg has to go out and start against Ohio State the next week. I think I remember this as well, yeah. And we barely lost that game. We stayed close with it the whole time. I think we lost that one like 24-27 to 27 or something like that. You know, uh, Iowa fans know that all too well, right? If Ricky Stancy doesn't get hurt in 9 Iowa probably beats Northwestern, probably beats Ohio State, goes undefeated, and they might play in a national championship game. But he got hurt, right? In, in 2015 in the Big Ten championship game, if that reserve defensive end actually on the goal line tries to tackle with his head up, he sees that LJ Scott has the ball out in one hand, if he hits with his head up rather than putting his head straight down, a la Dan Sorensen. Dan Sorensen, yeah, I was just thinking that. Maybe he's able to get a get a helmet on the ball or get a hand on the ball, something, knock it loose, force a fumble, whatever. Maybe they go out and win the game. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe if Iowa doesn't go out and score so quickly and leave Michigan State with enough time to go out on that big, long touchdown drive, maybe we're able to hold them defensively and go out and win the game. There's what ifs can, you know, absolutely demoralize somebody's mind at a certain point. And Iowa fans know that all too well. So we can what if all we want. The truth of the matter, Sean Clifford left the game. Sean Clifford wasn't having a great day. Was he having a better day than Taquan Robinson? Yes. He was 15 for 25, so he's completing 60% of his passes for 146 yards and two picks. He also had 36 yards rushing on just three carries and a touchdown. So, was he doing enough? Yeah. But to say that they would have just come out and won the game if Sean Clifford... You know, Sean Clifford was still on the sideline whenever Iowa went down and scored and made it 17-10. to 10. Right. So, I don't really know how you can how you can take a look at it like that and, and decipher... That sort of thing. What ifs? What ifs can make or break a person's psyche? But at the end of the day, Iowa did what they had to do. You're right. Spencer Peters was not great. Uh, he definitely was not as good as he was against Maryland. But this is a Penn State defense that is better than the Maryland defense. This might have been the best defense that Iowa will play all year long. Uh, he finished 17 for 31 and completing about 55 percent of his passes. 195 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. And, and that pick was a big deal. He threw that pick. And they went down and scored, and that made it 14-3, to and that really took the wind out of a lot of people's sails. Um, but it, it ended up working out just fine. You know, Tyler Goodson did his job, 25 of 88, um, no touchdowns, but he did enough. You know, this was uh, finished with 110 yards rushing for the Iowa, Iowa offense on 45 carries, so 2.4 yards a carry, which is not good. But it was enough. Nico Regani... <laughs> With the absolute play call of the day. That was such a good play call. Because Iowa is a team that traditionally runs that sort of offensive scheme a lot. You know, they run the play action rollout. The tight end runs that little slip. the Sort of like drag across the middle. And the guys, you know, defenses sort of rotate their entire defense across to cover that. Because everybody's sort of running that pattern, right? Somebody's running a little drag across the middle. Somebody's running maybe an 8 or a 9 yard slant route, other guys running a post, that that sort of thing. Everything's running towards the direction where the quarterback is running his rollout. And that's what they did, Regain, right? Nico Regani's standing in the slot. 
He runs about seven, eight yards and runs off his little post route and then just sort of breaks it back off and goes backside. It is sort of like a slant corner route yep. sort of thing. And, wide and open. Wide open. Touchdown. That was exactly what they needed. And you just knew that the Iowa defense wasn't going to allow a score. You know, they've allowed 20 points already. That's about all you're going to get. And and they did their job. And the crowd was hectic. It was it outstanding. Immaculate is the word I would like to use. After Iowa goes down and scores that touchdown to make it 17 to 10, um, you know, they Penn State goes out for a drive and the I the, the crowd was insane. Forcing not one, not two, three false starts. Back to back to back. Penn State went from a third and 13 to a third and 28 from like their own six yard line. You know, it was it was insane what was happening. And, you know, more interceptions, interceptions galore. Um, you know, Jack Campbell doing his job at the linebacker position, finished with nine tackles. Um, they didn't do a overly impressive job of getting to the quarterback. They only had one sack. Um, but they did their job. And the thing that I love about this Iowa team is in years past, Iowa has had guys to, that generate interceptions, but it's always been like one or two guys, right? Like, I think about De- Desmond King in 2015 at eight interceptions on the year. Josh Jackson in 2017 who had eight interceptions on the year. Um, you know, there's been there's been years past where it was just like one or two guys combining for, for 16 or 17 interceptions between just those two guys or whatever, you know? Or, or 14 or whatever the case was. This Iowa team is getting interceptions from so many different guys. Yeah, like Riley Moss has four right now. Matt Hankins has three. Um, but Jack Kerner has two. Justin Jacobs got his first pick of the year. Kayvon Merriweather has a pick. Uh, Terry Roberts. You know, so many different guys have interceptions for this Iowa team right now. It just shows that this is a really deep secondary. And that's only going to bode well for this Iowa team moving forward. Especially if if Riley Moss misses any considerable amount of time, which it appears he will. But, I mean, what a big win. Now number two in the country, which is the highest Iowa has been ranked since 1985. When I was negative 13 years old. <laughs> you know, in 1985, my mom was eight. My dad was 11. Unbelievable. Absolutely it? insane. I, w- I want to ask you this, though. Do you think their defense can contend against teams that are like high scoring in the SEC if they were to get to that national championship level? Do you think they have enough there to actually compete for a national championship? And I know we're talking about this in mid-October. There's still plenty of season left to play. But if things hold pat, I was going to be the number two team and they're going to get a college football playoff appearance. Do you think their defense can withstand guys like, say, maybe Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia or whoever, whatever? This defense can compete with anybody. This offense? That's the big question mark. Eh. But this defense, because it's not... What Phil Parker does such a good job of is 
You know, this defense has some great athletes. They, they really do. Um, you know, Justin Jacobs is an athletic freak. At, at 6'3", 225, he runs like a 4'6". Same thing with Jack Campbell, Iowa starting middle linebacker, who runs a 4'6", flat, at 6'5", 250. Massive human being at the middle linebacker position at six foot five. Athletic freaks. Uh, Dane Belton, Iowa's sort of cash position guy, right? He's a strong safety, but he plays that sort of cash position in the four two five that Iowa runs. It's sort of like a third linebacker, yeah. but also a fifth defensive back. That's what sure. he does. Yeah. And, and Riley Moss, who ran, he was a state champion in track coming out of high school. But I I think Phil Parker knows that this Iowa defense and this Iowa team doesn't have the same caliber of athlete oh, man. as the Georgias and Alabamas yeah. of the world. Yeah, you know, uh, and maybe Phil learned his lesson maybe six years ago when we had to play a certain team in Cardinal, Cardinal and White Ooh. from the West Coast. Ouch. On the West Coast, in a little bowl about a flower. Nay, uh, you know, little bowl uh, about a flower. A red flower. With a, with a similar name to the main character from the Titanic movie. That's uh, on Netflix, by the way. Now. It did is. you know that? I did know that. It is on Netflix. So is Step Brothers. Oh, with Will Ferrell and them? Yeah. Wolf, Should I give that movie yeah. a watch? Oh, it's a good movie. you never seen it? No, I'm, oh, I'm not. Oh, man, it's so good. Top. It's a quality comedy. It really One is. One thing that I love about my sister's house, uh, she has like every single streaming service. She's got Hulu, Netflix, uh, Disney Plus, Apple TV. She's got it all, dude. I'm yeah. looking forward to It's time to take full advantage of that and oh. watch all kinds of movies. The only thing I don't like is though, with her Hulu, she doesn't have live TV. So I couldn't watch any of the football games on Saturday or on That's Sunday. That's tough. So I just had to, to that. stream it on my computer with a totally legal website on my Laptop, and I'm, you know, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> but yep. anyway, go ahead. But, you know, that's that's sort of something that Iowa learned back in 2015 in the Rose Bowl against Christian McCaffrey and yep. that Stanford team. We got out-athleted, and we've been out-athleted in years past, but I think what you've seen over the last few years, like USC in the Holiday Bowl in 2019, that USC team probably had better athletes than we did. But what they, what Phil Parker did so well was sort of take the athleticism out of it a little bit by running a zone. That's what this Iowa team does. They run Tampa 2. You know, you've got two deep safeties. Everybody else is sitting in their zone, and they've got eyes on the quarterback. Ball hawking. They yeah. ball hawk, right? It's not, they they sit in their zone, and maybe not sit in their zone. They read routes. They, read, the they read routes, yeah. and they, they stare into the backfield, and they watch the quarterback's eyes, and it generates interceptions. And what's so impressive is when you do that sort of thing, kind of like, kind of like Marcus Peters used to do with the Chiefs, right? Um, and it would work out really well at times. He would get a lot of interceptions, but he would also get burnt deep a lot. Yeah. He would allow a lot of big plays. What's so impressive about this Iowa team is they don't allow big plays. They generate interceptions. They ball hawk. They read the quarterback's eyes in the backfield, but they don't get burnt deep. This is a team that has allowed like, I think it was like eight plays of more than 20 yards this entire season. Which is maybe second fewest in the in the in college football this year, as well as leading the NCAA in interceptions. That's insane. Now uh, they're allowing like eleven point five points a game this season, and Georgia's allowing like five, which is nuts. Um, this Georgia team has the best defense in college football, absolutely without a doubt. 
This Iowa team is number two. And then I think you had the rest of the field after that. This defense can compete with anybody. I, I truly believe that. And, and that includes the Alabamas and, and the Oklahomas and, and places like that. Because, especially like the Oklahomas, because what we've seen from Oklahoma is a quarterback battle now. Yeah, and, I, I've and, watched and that mistakes shootout. mistakes being yeah. made and, and no defense. And it's just, yeah. it, this Iowa team... They can make a college football playoff. Can they win a national championship? I don't freaking know. Probably not. You never I can know. dream, can I? This yeah, defense fan, is this yeah. defense is championship worthy. The offense? Yeah. I don't know. We've got six weeks to go. You know, maybe they can still figure it maybe out. Maybe we can figure things. This is a very young offensive line. You know, they start two freshmen on the offensive line at left tackle and at right guard. Uh, uh you know left tackle is pretty poor in position. It is, yeah. and it's a redshirt freshman there right now uh, in Mason Richmond. And then our starting right guard is a true freshman, four-star kid, uh, oh, wow. Connor Colby. Now, he was a top 150 recruit in the country. He was a four-star. Yeah, a four-star, obviously, yeah. Yeah, but y- you're starting two freshmen. And then, you know, you've got other guys. At left guard, um, you've got Kyler Schott, who is pro football focus, had him as a top five offensive lineman in college football, the best guard in football. Um, he started at right guard last year. Now he's at left guard. Former walk-on, because that's just what Iowa does. You've got Tyler Linderbaum at center. He should be pretty okay there. Um, and then you've got a former walk-on and a redshirt sophomore and, and, Nick, and Nick DeJong. So you've got a pretty young offensive line. And you're only halfway through the year. But that's sort of a good thing, a good problem to have. You know, that you've got things you need to improve on. You've got places where you struggle. But you're still 6-0. You're the number two team in the country, and you're nowhere near where you want to be yet. That's a very, very good problem to have. And and we'll see what happens. You know, um, this Iowa team has a problematic matchup, to say the least. Purdue, yeah, I've heard from The Wire on Twitter. It's been a bit of a spoiler for any kind of good I Iowa season. I hate playing Purdue. Hate it. They're the, they're, just, they're the kryptonite of Iowa. They just, they're like, they're the anti-Iowa is how I describe them. This is an Iowa team that loves to run the, it's a run first offense, right? They run the ball in order to set up play, play action. action. to pass it, yeah. It's what they do. This Purdue team throws the football in order to open up the running game. This is a, this is a Purdue team that has been like dead last in rushing yards in the Big Ten for like the last decade, you know? They're averaging 89.4 yards rushing per game this season. That's not good at all. No. That's terrible, actually. It's not, but they're averaging 325 yards passing a game. Well, it shouldn't be a problem with how I was secondary in ball hawking defense. You'd think. I agree with you. You'd think. To a certain extent. But what this Purdue team does is they just manage to have great receivers. Like, this is a Purdue team that isn't like, over the top, this isn't a team that's going to compete for a, a division championship in the Big Ten West. You know, uh, they, they're going to struggle to make a bowl game. Yeah, that's sort of what this Purdue team has been. Six and six, seven and five, five and seven. I thought six wins gives you a bowl game now. Though. It does. Six win- Yeah, six wins has always gotten you a bowl game. It's always been bowl eligible. Six games. I thought it was seven previously. Uh-uh, six and six. Now you're having teams that are only winning five games making bowl games. Because there's just so many of them now. Right. But a, six games... Guarantees you bowl eligibility. 
but they just managed to have good receivers that give you fits, right? Like Rondell Moore, who plays for the Cardinals now, the Arizona Cardinals now, I believe, was a stud. And now you've got a guy like David Bell, who is projected to go in like the first three rounds of this year's in NFL draft. He's got 439 receiving yards so far on the season. And a guy like Milton Wright, who's really coming to the forefront. They, they always seem to have good receivers, and they generate a lot of big plays. This Purdue team does, which is what Iowa really tries to avoid. And when Iowa's defense allows big plays, it becomes an issue. And what we saw last season was the offense struggled. And and that really hurt the defense. Lost 24 to 20. Yeah. And they were up 17 to nothing at one point. Ooh. I did not know that. Yeah. Iowa was up 17 to nothing and the offense just completely sputtered and and Purdue came back and won at 24 to 20. So hopefully the 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 Purdue defense isn't over the top great. They've got a great defensive end in George Karloftis. It, but he's only got like two sacks this season, I think. So if the offense can generate running, you know, if they can get the run game going and that leads to play action, limits mistakes, limit turnovers, because we know what this Iowa defense is going to do. They're going to force turnovers. It's what they do. So if you can limit turnovers on your side, force turnovers on the other, you know, you're going to be okay. Because this is a Purdue team that loves to throw the football. You throw the football a lot against a great secondary like Iowa has. It is going to lead to mistakes. It's also going to lead to big plays. So keep level, stay level-headed is what I would say uh, for the for the Iowa defense for this whole Iowa team coming up on Saturday. Stay level-headed. You allow a 30, 40 yard pass. Don't fret. Don't panic. Stay level-headed. Bend. Don't break. That's what this Iowa defense is all about. You know, that's fine. If you want to drive 80 yards, go down and score, that's fine. But it's going to take 12 plays and 8 minutes, and all you're going to get is a field goal. You're not going to break our backs, but you're going to get done with this drive. You're going to be exhausted, and you're going to be frustrated that all you got was three points. Just so long as Iowa can respond with three points of their own or a touchdown. Right? Eventually, you're going to, eventually, this Iowa defense and Phil Parker, they're going to force you into a mistake. That's just what's going to happen. Right. Like we saw in the Iowa State game. You know, they're going to battle, and they're going to battle, and they're going to make it really hard for you until until you're forced into a mistake. For example, uh, fumbling the ball on your own three-yard line, scoop and score a touchdown. Or against Kent State, where they drove all the way down the field and looked like they were getting ready to score, and they pop it loose, and they fumble on the one-yard line. It's recovered by Iowa for a touchback. I just saw that Iowa State's no longer ranked anymore. I'm yeah. sure that I'm sure that makes you sad as a Iowa Hawkeye fan. Well, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Do I do I like seeing Iowa State perform poorly? Absolutely. But uh, it's sort of one of those things like we already beat them, right? We've got that over their heads. I would like to see them continue to have a good year because then that looks makes us look better. That makes the Iowa team look better. Like, oh, they beat a great Iowa State team. They beat a great Indiana team. They beat a great Penn State team. Because that's what's happening now. Right. And that's what happens anytime Iowa is good. Is the the media members, you know, Iowa beats a team, and they're like, everybody's picking them to beat Iowa, right? And then Iowa beats them, and they're like, oh, well, they're just down this year. 
Like what happened The last... narrative is never on the positive side yeah. for the Hawkeyes. Like what happened last week or two weeks ago now, I guess. Right, Iowa plays Maryland on a Friday night. Iowa goes out, has six interceptions. And then Saturday, they go out and David Pollock, who is one of the game day guys, they're talking about the Iowa game and the six interceptions. And he just starts going on this rant about how offenses in college football are down this year. Just refusing to give any credit to what this Iowa defense is able to put up. Coming from a guy who played linebacker at Georgia. A defensive guy. And you're not giving him any credit. Now, I will say, I want to give a huge shout out to Georgia fans. Because I am a complete nerd. And I love sports. So, you know, some of these Iowa websites, right? You can like subscribe and get like VIP content, like recruiting content, stuff like that. I I am on those. And they have like big message boards and things like that. There are Georgia fans that are on Iowa message boards now talking about how good the Iowa defense is. It's sort of like this collective unit of people, Iowa fans and Georgia fans, talking about how good their defenses are. Sort of like this this coming together thing. You know, like Iowa fans becoming fa- friends with Georgia fans. Like a sort of bizarre thing. Like never really thought that those SEC two would... teams talking to a Big Ten team, yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of like the, the the animosity of college sports just sort of going by the wayside in these message boards with them the the respect, you know, from both sides talking about how good these defenses are, and then you're sort of like the the big spokesman for Georgia football and David Pollock is just ragging on offenses in college football this year. There just no credit whatsoever. Yeah, you know, and come on. The let's see let's see the hopefully the the trend can continue just to show you how good this Iowa defense has been. I can throw the stats around at you all day long. I would say we've already been here for an hour, so you might as well make it two. Yeah. Six quarterbacks, right? Six weeks. Iowa's played six games. Six quarterbacks have started in these six games, obviously. Do you want to know how many of them have actually finished the game? I want to say one of them has. One guy. Six games. Iowa has benched five starters. Four of them for poor performance and one well, of them via injury, an injury. Yeah. And, you know, it, and it was a, it, it, you never want to see somebody get hurt, you know, um, but it was a clean hit. I mean, Jack Campbell laid the boom. And when 6'5, 250 has a free lane to the quarterback and he can hit you going full speed, it's going to hurt. And Sean Clifford, Penn State's quarterback, has had injury issues in the past. But, yeah, six games Iowa has played, they have benched five quarterbacks, five starters. That's insane. And some good ones at that. You know, Michael Penix at Indiana, Brock Purdy at Iowa State, uh, Sir Sean Clifford at, at Penn State, Ta- Talia Tagovailoa, who was playing like one of the best quarterbacks in college football through the first four weeks of the season. Uh, Ten touchdowns to one pick, and then threw five against Iowa. That's just what they do, man. They're sound. They're not going to get outside themselves. They're not going to do something that isn't them. They do what they do, and they do it better than almost anybody. And that's all a credit to Phil Parker, the best defensive coordinator in football. I'd love to see a championship game of Georgia and Iowa. Just it, it'd just be kind of random, you know. You want for one thing, you wouldn't have Alabama in there, thankfully so. And two, you would see a defensive showcase in which, yeah, it could be boring, but I mean, it's not that boring if you're seeing a lot of interceptions, a lot of. Big defensive plays. Now, you kind of alluded to the Texas-Oklahoma game. I watched that game before uh, the Iowa-Penn State game. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to define the Big 12 in a full 60-minute experience, 
Look no further than the Texas-Oklahoma game. Final score was, I believe, either 58 or 55 to 48, the final score. 55 to 48. 55 to 48. And these two teams are going to be SEC-bound here in the next couple years. And man, oh man, I wanted Texas to win that game so bad because, in my opinion, if Oklahoma were to lose that game, the Big 12 would not have anybody representing in the national championship game or the or in the wherever they call it now, the BCS Bowl playoff or whatever it is. I don't like know. College football playoff. College yeah. football playoff, yeah. If Oklahoma were to have lost that game, you know, maybe Oklahoma State would have gotten a representation from the Big 12, but nah. Unfortunately, Texas had to lose. Oklahoma had to bench their starting quarterback, Spencer Rattler. And the guy that brought in, he balled out, and Texas just really couldn't keep up with the scoring that Oklahoma had in that second half. It, yeah, it was. It, and and it, you sort of saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. If you watched games, you know, in the past, Spencer Rattler is a guy that he doesn't make. You know, he doesn't throw a lot of incompletions. But when he does, it's it's so strange. Like, he makes very few mistakes, but when he does, they're massive mistakes. Like, the guy will throw five incompletions in a game, but three of them are interceptions. And you're like, that's sort of a bizarre thing. You know, throw three or four incompletions and two of them are picks or whatever. Like, it, it has been trending his way. And so they benched him. And he went out. The uh, the Connor Connor Williams is Caleb that his name? Williams. Caleb Williams went out and straight up did his thing. Fifteen to twenty four, two eleven, two touchdowns. The running back though, Kennedy Brooks. Yeah, dude. What about Texas's running back, Bijan Robinson? Yeah, I mean it was about all the running backs. I mean, Bijan Robinson, twenty of one thirty seven for one touchdown, and then the Oklahoma running back Brooks, Kennedy Brooks, twenty five rushes. 200. 200. I'd love to have that in my pocket right now. 200. Fair. 217 yards and two touchdowns, averaging 8.7 yards per carry. And also, the sec- or Caleb Williams himself, the quarterback, rushed the ball four times for 88 yards and a touchdown. An average of 22 yards per rush. Yeah, that's... Defense in A in Big 12. And like I said, if you, a. If I you want that. any representation of Big 12 football, look no further than the Cotton Bowl last Saturday. 55-48. to <laughs> I'd hate to be a defensive coordinator for either one of these teams. But anyway, I digress. Oklahoma, of course, now remains undefeated. Unfortunately so, because I wanted so badly Oklahoma to lose with just, you know, the Big 12 couldn't have any representation in the college football playoff. Whew. We've been at this for over an hour now. I know. You know, I'm really tired for whatever reason. Actually, I know what reason it is. It's because I haven't had anything to eat mostly for the day. Yeah, but Do you get either. tired whenever you get hungry? Yeah, I, I, yeah, sometimes, not always. I, most of the time, I just, you know, get like the, the, the stomach grumbles. Yeah, I got the grumbles. Or whatever, right now. but yeah, sometimes, sometimes I tend to get a little tired. Yeah. But, you know, we've got some, there's some quality college football coming up this week. You know, is um, that so? Yeah. Yeah. We got some Friday night games, a couple of top 25 teams. Uh, San Diego State, quietly undefeated right now, 5 and 0. They're playing San Jose State on Friday. Uh, it, they're of course West Coast games. Nine thirty so starts. Nine thirty yeah. kickoffs. Uh, number nine Oregon taking on Cal. Um, I don't think Oregon is out of the college football playoff hunt yet, but they're gonna they need to win. Nine, they're gonna yeah. need to win out, and mm-hmm. they're gonna need a lot of help. Um, but I tell you what, what I'm really excited to see 
and maybe it's just because I'm a Big Ten fan, but I think one of the biggest storylines in college football right now is the Big Ten East. Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. All four of those teams in the Big Ten East, all four of them in the top ten. Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. And none of them have played each other yet. These last five, four weeks of the season is going to get very, very interesting very, very quickly. These guys are going to have to play each other, and they are going to beat the hell out of each other, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Coming from in watching the Hawkeyes from the from the Big Ten West, it's like watching uh, two guys fight out. Then you're the third guy going to be coming in and getting the scraps or whatever. Yeah, you know, looking at the line for that game, the uh, Purdue Iowa game, Iowa is a eleven and a half yeah point favorite. Oh, some of these are some of these are pretty crazy. If uh, I were a betting man, I'd honestly take Purdue. I think they could cover the spread on this game. I would agree with him. Yeah, but unfortunately, we live in Missouri. Can't stand that. We live in Missouri, so we can't, you know, bet on games legally yet. That's fair. Ho- hopefully, that changes here soon. But some yeah. of these games, though, are, are are pretty interesting to take a look. Like, I mean, Texas, like Texas, is a five point favorite against Oklahoma State. Yeah. Kentucky at Georgia. Georgia's a twenty two and a half point favorite in that game, and despite can- Kentucky being the number eleven team exactly. in the country. Whew. Yeah, I think I think Kentucky loses the game, but I would pick. Kentucky at minus twenty two. Yeah, I take the I take the or points plus on that. Plus twenty two and a half. Yeah. Uh, BYU's playing Baylor. BYU's ranked nineteenth in the country, and they've got Baylor as a six and a half point favorite. Ole Miss is playing Tennessee, and Tennessee. Oh, excuse me. Now I got the case of the hiccups. You've got the case of the coughs. I got the case of the hiccups. We're a slime ball here. We're <laughs> we're a germ ball here in this jock studio. Uh, but no, Ole Miss is only a two and a half point favorite. Yeah. Though the game is in Tennessee. That's true. Uh, Arizona State taking on Utah. That's Arizona a State rate eighteen. That's even. Strange. Some some of these lines for these games are strange. But they, that the one that really makes me shake my head is Oklahoma State at five and zero, ranked twelfth in the country. And yes, Texas has been really good. I'm not going to deny that. And the game is at Texas Memorial Stadium. But Texas is a five point favorite at four and two over a five and zero twelfth ranked Oklahoma State team. Leaves me scratching my head a little bit. Dude, Vegas knows stuff that we don't. That's just... I guess that's true. Plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been to Vegas before? No. I I want to. I wonder how much... I should put a timer on my phone whenever I go to casino and see how fast I can lose $100 or $200 because I lose it pretty much exponentially whenever I go to a downstream casino resort (laughs) after some of my football games. And uh, I actually went there a couple days ago and I kind of just pushed. I came in with 300 and left with 300. So, mm. you know, rather than losing 300, which is what I did also at one point this season. But, you know, there you go. Like you say, you win some and you lose some. All right. Moving on from the college football scene, if you want to keep going on here. Um, of course, the Major League Baseball postseason is in full swing. There have been three of the four teams that have been announced for the NL and ALCS in the American League. It's set. You got the Houston Astros and the Boston Red Sox, one of your teams, Logan. Yes, sir. Upsetting. The number one seed, Tampa Bay Rays. That series is going to start on Saturday in Houston. The time has yet to be determined, and the starters for that game have yet to be determined. And then you move over to the National League. Yesterday, you had the Atlanta Braves clinching a spot in the NLCS, going up against the Brewers. And uh, <coughs> thank you, Braves, because us Cardinal fans appreciate you knocking off the Central Division champion. Bunch of frauds on Milwaukee Brewers. Anyway, 
They knocked them off. So you now have one more division series left, and it's probably the best one out of all of baseball in the Giants and the Dodgers. Look, these two teams were, they're too good for this series not to go the full five. And honestly, I know it's a division series, and I know it's just how baseball is, but I would really, really, really wish I would see a seven-game series out of this. But it's going to go the full five, and that game is going to be two night in Los, or in San Francisco. First pitch is at 8.07 on TBS. And Julio Urias will go for the Dodgers. Logan Webb for the Giants. The two best teams in all of baseball will play one more game against each other to see who moves on. It Yeah, it doesn't get any better. It, it does not. It and, really and I doesn't. can't stand both teams, but I mean, come on. So I'd this rather is, have the Giants win than the Dodgers. I'll say that. I don't think they will. You don't uh, think the Giants will win? Not with Julio Urias on the mound, man. Mm. Urias is a stud. And Logan Webb's had a great year. I'm not going to deny that. But I, I really give the the advantage to the Dodgers with Julio Urias on the mound. Um, but, you know, and I know you don't want to hear it as a Cardinals fan, but this is what baseball fans need, right? This this is what baseball fans wanted, um, me, myself, uh, included in that category. These are the two best teams in baseball. Have been all year. Dodgers, Giants. Well, you yeah. Know, one's won 107 games. The other one's won 106. Bingo. And, and to, if it would have gone to the case, right, I would have been happy about it to watch the Cardinals beat the Dodgers in the wild card and the Cardinals move on and and lose in four games to the, to the Giants or whatever, right? They might have been able to squeak one out. Um, but this is these are the two best teams in baseball. And this series deserved to happen, and it deserved to go five games. And... We'll see. We'll see what happens with it tonight. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, the Atlanta Braves shocked basically everybody. Uh, I, I didn't think the Braves were talented enough to eat, should shouldn't even have been in the playoffs. I think there were probably some teams that were maybe more talented than them uh, in terms of the way they played this season. Yeah, that should have made the playoffs. You know, but they won. They got in. They won their division, and they beat the Brewers. In four games. In four games. Don't know how, don't know why, but it happened. It's baseball. I really want a Giants-Braves NLCS. I think that'd be good for baseball. One, because I just can't stand the Dodgers. They're consistently in the NLCS and just in the playoffs in general. And no, that doesn't And the go... Giants aren't? Well, not to the extent of the Dodgers. Like, okay, when was the last time the Dodgers weren't in the postseason? Like, 2000 and... 12, 11, I can't even tell you when the last time they were they were not in the playoffs. They've won multiple NL West titles in the past decade. Decade being, you know, 2010 and 2019. Now here we're talking in 2021. Now, of course, the Giants have won three World Series in the 2010s. 2010, 2012, and 2014. In which in, two, in 12 and 14, they had to go through the Cardinals to get there. But anyway, and they beat the Royals in 2014. But... I don't know. I just I like the Giants more as a group than the Dodgers. I don't know why. I don't know. It's just like just that Zen kind of feeling. And it's not because the Dodgers knocked off the Cardinals. I I I'd figured that would happen in a one game playoff. Though I didn't want it to happen. I figured it would happen. So yeah, I mean they've made the playoffs every year since 2013, but they didn't make it 2010, 2012, 2011, or 2010. But yeah, I mean they've they've made the NLCS. One, two, three, four, five times since 2013. 
that's I mean that's a lot. I I won't deny that. But like when they they've only won one. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Mickey Mouse World Series in 2020 or whatever. Yeah, yeah I mean I guess they've they've made the World Series four times, and they've yeah. won it once. once. The Giants, on the other hand, seem to every time they make the World Series, they win the damn thing. And That's true. I get sick of it. Remember the even year curse? 2010, 2012, 2014. If the Giants were in the playoffs, you're gone. You're not you're not gonna make it to the World yeah. Series. And the Cardinals fell victim to that two out of the three years, especially in the 2012 when the Cardinals and, blew a <clears throat> three to one lead. I guess it's in that fair. Series. They yeah. haven't made the playoffs since twenty sixteen. And they lost in the divisional series. To the eventual champion, the Chicago right. Cubs. Missed the playoffs in 15, beat the Royals in 14, missed the playoffs in 13, won the series in 12, missed the playoffs in 2011, won the World Series in 2010. What the hell is going on? I'm telling you, it's the even-year curse. You thought the devil magic was bad in St. Louis? Whenever in that 2010 span, whenever it was an even year, you just expected the Giants to make the playoffs for whatever reason. They could look like total dog water in the odd-numbered years. And then that next year, whether it be 2012 or 2010 or 2014, they'd be play, they'd be championship contenders, and they would win. It doesn't make sense. It's like Cardinal baseball. It doesn't make sense. But it happened. And now they're back here on an odd year in 2021 with a bunch of guys that are were labeled as nobodies previously coming in, and they've won 107 games. Gabe Kepler easily is the manager of the year in the National <clears throat> League and in the American League. I think overall he's just the best manager of all baseball because, like I said, he took a group of nobodies and has-beens. Like, how do you explain guys like Evan Longoria, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt, and Brandon Crawford, along with some new additions to the team that haven't that weren't you know marquee additions? How does that group of guys revitalize their career and win 107 games in the toughest division or the second toughest division in all of baseball? First one would be have to be the AL East. But the yeah. second probably had to be the NL West. I've said it for months. <coughs> this Giants team reminds me a lot of those 14 and 15 Royals teams. There's not a lot of, you know, there is some star power, but it's not like top 10, you know, Superstar caliber talent. Posey, yeah, used to be. Used to be, yeah. <clears throat> and I hated that as a Cardinal fan growing up because it was always that battle between Posey and Molina. And more times than not, Posey would win in most of the categories. Right. But this is a in this this team just reminds me a lot of those Royals teams from 2014-15. They have some great players, but there's just this sort of cohesive, you know, unit that plays together. And they do the little things, you know. They don't hit for a ton of power. They get on base. They walk a lot. Ah, uh, I'd have to disagree. The Giants lead the <clears throat> lead the league in or lead the league in home runs. They do with two hundred forty. Yeah, I know it. It didn't make any sense to me, but yeah, look it up. They led the league in home runs this season. Wow. And they, you know, it's funny you say that. They didn't do it with like a guy that hit like thirty or forty bombs. They did it with guys that regularly hit like twenty, right, to fifteen to ten. It's yeah, I don't know. It, that's all you really can say about this Giants team is that I don't know. How, I don't know how they won 107 games. Yeah, they were second in the league with 241 home runs. Okay. The, the the Blue Jays had 269. Okay, so first in the National League in right. home runs. Right, with the Braves just barely behind them at 239 and the Dodgers behind them at 237. So and the, it was, But they were first in the league in wins, obviously. Um, 
second in the second in Major League Baseball in earned run average with a 3.24 cumulative uh, uh, bullpen ERA. Only behind the Dodgers with a 3.01, which is absurd. Second in the league in saves. They just did, you know, they did the little things, you know, and they worked well together as a unit. You know, like uh, uh, Posey, I think, was the only guy on the team that batted above 300, I want to say. was him, yeah. Next oh, closest guy was okay. 298. But, I mean, like, you look at their home runs. The guy that had the most home runs was Brandon Bell, and he had 29. Right. But there were guys that had 25, 24. Then you had guys that had three different guys had 18 home runs, and then they had one with 16 and one, and two of them with, like, 13. So, it, like, I don't know. It, like, I know you're going to go with the Dodgers in this game, but I'm going to go with the Giants. Mm. I, I think the Giants are going to win it in front of their home faithful here, and they're going to face the Braves in the NLCS, in an NLCS that people wanted. Now, not as much as, you know, a Cardinals-Braves NLCS, but, you know, that's neither here <laughs> nor there. So... But yeah, and like I said, I'm still not salty about that at all. No, it's I'm fine. not salty that Alex Race was put in in a tie game in the ninth inning with one guy on when he been. Is, sh- yeah, I know it is what it, it is, is. What it is. But I want to talk about the American League. I want to talk about the ALCS, and I want to specifically talk about Enrique Hernandez. Where the hell did this guy come from? He's the he's the right-handed incarnation of Barry Bonds, apparently. The guy batted 250 with 20 home runs and 60 RBIs during the regular season. Like, he was just sort of an eh, just an average player, right? Like, he had a 786 OPS, which was his highest statistical category. He was 69th in Major League Baseball. He was 104th in batting average, 97th in home runs, and 119th in RBIs. And all he does this postseason is go out, and right now he's batting 425. Like, what the hell is going on? Postseason baseball, man. He's got 10 hits in 23 at-bats. He's got five runs. He's hit three doubles, two home runs, six RBIs in five games. Six RBIs in five. He went in that 14-6 game against the uh, against the Rays in game two of that series, which that game was nuts. Rays are up 5-1. to one. It looks like the Royals are, or the Red Sox are really going to have their backs against the wall. And then just an offensive explosion. Enrique Hernandez went five for six with three doubles and a home run. It was ridiculous. I can't wait to see his 99 card in the show coming up whenever the division series is over. It, I mean, just ridiculous to watch. I was, I was just completely mind blown by what was happening in that series, in that game. I mean, it was, it was five to two. Going into the top of the third inning, right? Because the the Red Sox got out to a very early lead. It was two to it was two to nothing. Top of the first, you know, Bogarts hits a single, Verdugo hits a single, which Verdugo has been very good as well, and Xander Bogarts obviously. Um, and then it was a five run explosion in the bottom of the first on Chris Sale, who's like you know is the Red Sox best pitcher. He's the ace, and he gets pulled after one inning. And you're like, oh dear God, the Royals are gonna, the Red Sox are gonna go down two games to none, and this series is gonna be over before it even gets started. Nothing happens in the second. Sox go out, get two runs in the second, uh, off uh, home runs from Bogarts and Verdugo, who just sort of carried the Red Sox through the first half of this game. You know, both of those guys hit solo shots. It's now four to five. Nothing happens in the fourth inning. 
And then the fifth inning rolls around. Top of the fifth, J.D. Martinez, who wasn't on the wildcard roster. Bomb. Absolute bomb. Three-run shot. The Red Sox end up scoring four runs in the inning after, you know, Hernandez hits a home run in the top of the fifth as well. Early in that one, hit a 393-foot shot. Braves go out bottom of the sixth. Score a run. Top of the seventh, Red Sox come right back. Vasquez hits a single, which always helpful when Vasquez, when Christian Vasquez gets a hit from the catcher position. <laughs> yeah. That's bonus points. Uh, Rafael Devers hits a home run in the eighth, and then in the top of the ninth, they just sort of put the icing on the cake, you know? Uh, Christian Vasquez hits, uh, hit an infield single. Uh, Santana and Renfro, uh, Santana scored, Renfro gets the second, and then Hernandez singled, and Renfro scores, Vasquez scores. 14 to 6, and that just sort of turned the whole thing on its head. Sox come out, score six runs in the third, game three, game four. They win the series in three games, which I don't think anybody expected after the Red Sox lost game one, five to nothing, and were down five to two at the end of the first inning. That's just sort of, you know, you do what you got to do. Bogarts went three for five in that game two win. Uh, Verdugo went three for five. JD Martinez went four for five. You just, you love to see that. So it's going to be really, really interesting to watch because this is a, it's a, this is a very good Astros team. And I know people hate the Astros, but it's still a very good baseball team. Okay. To say otherwise is a little bit biased and I think a little bit naive. This, this Houston Astros team is very good up and down the entire lineup. You know, Carlos Correa, Kyle, Kyle, uh, Kyle Tucker, Yuri Gurriel. Alex Michael Bregman. Brantley, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve. This is what they do. And they've got great pitching. They always have great pitching. You know, this is this is just what this team does. And I, I've frankly been very, very impressed with uh, Fram, Framber Valdez, who has pitched uh, 24 innings. 24 innings. He's started in three games so far this postseason. Dude's a beast. Sheesh. And pitched 24 innings. He's played in four. And he's got a 1.88 ERA. Absurd. What Framber Valdez has done. It's going to be, you know, this is this is what you live for. As a, as a baseball fan, as a sports fan, it is postseason. The postseason in any sport is going to be very, very good. You know, I don't watch a lot of, like, Hockey or soccer in the postseason or anything, but I I, I, hockey just started, by the way. And I don't watch a ton of MLB, but I'll watch the postseason. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's when it's at its most entertaining. You know, night October baseball. There's it's just the just the feeling you get, you know, and watching that sort of stuff. But uh, this game tonight is going to be wildly entertaining, and anybody who's a fan of sports should probably tune in and watch this one, because if you don't, you might miss out on a really, really good baseball game. So looking at Dusty Baker, he won a pennant with the Giants in 2002, and of course they lost that World Series to the Angels. He won 95 games with the Giants, and then he got fired. And then he went to the Cubs. Then of course he had stints with the Reds, Nationals, and Knights with the Astros. Record of 95-67 and this year. Yeah. I got, you know, I want the Astros to win this one. 
I know I know there's a lot of uh hesitancy, a lot of uh, what's the word? I'm terrible with words. A lot of discrepancy with the Astros and of course their 2017 scandal. Uh, animosity is the word with this Astros team, but like we got to move on, people. We really do. And I think what they've done here is legitimate. I think what they've done is, you know, kind of wash the stain away from that 2017 team. And most of the guys on that 17 team are back in the 2021 version doing the things that they were doing in 2017. So I kind of want them to just, like, mend their own wrongs by winning at least this series here. And quite honestly, I kind of want Dusty Baker to just get one. Because you think about Dusty Baker, the manager, he's been around this game a long time. Oh, one of the all-time greats. Yeah, but he has never won a ring. Yep. He's won three managers of the year and one pennant, but has never, ever won the big one. He is the only manager in MLB history to lead five different teams to the playoffs. And then, of course, this season, with the Astros winning the AL West title, he became the first manager to win a division title with five different teams. He's one of only six managers to reach the postseason ten times. But he's just never won that big one. And I want him to. I really do. Because he's a good guy. Now, of course, him and La Russa back in the Reds-Cardinals days, of course, had their spitting matches, their bickering matches with the Reds and everything. But, you know, he's a good baseball guy. He's a good manager. I think he needs to just, he needs to get one for baseball's sake. And for his sake, of course. Yeah, it's tough, too, because you think of two of the teams that he's coached for being the San Francisco Giants and the Nationals. They won titles shortly after he was fired. Yeah. Which is tough. Mm-hmm. Though the Giants didn't win anything immediately after he got fired. I mean, that's true. They won it in 2010. His final season there was in 2002. Yeah. And then, yeah, when he got fired from the Nationals in 2017, two years later, they then won a championship. And he also has coached generational talents, like the likes of Barry Bonds with the Giants, yep. Sammy Sosa with the Cubs, uh, Joey Votto with the Reds, Bryce Harper with the Nationals, and I just haven't won that big one. But I hope he does this year. I really do. I really do. I hope he does. All right. I know it's Thursday, but, dude, I'm tired. Do you want to do a therapy session Thursday? I don't even have anything for therapy session Thursday. You know what? We've been at, out of this just, for like a week. Just frustrated with being sick, you know, the last yeah, three th- days. I think, you, you know, whenever you were going on about your spiel, yeah, I think I was thinking in the back of my mind, yeah, this is probably his therapy session Thursday because you were big mad about I was big not mad. being here. I was, I was monumentally mad. By the way, Bucks went Thursday night football. Okay, what were you going to tell me next? The sky's blue? Like, come on. It's the Eagles and the Bucks. They're a seven-point favorite. Brady going back to Philadelphia. Like, it, sh- it shouldn't be much of a game, in my opinion. Though, it is Thursday night football, so anything can happen. Of course, both these teams are on a short week. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Bucks on that one as well. Uh, I'll say, you know what? I had this saved for last Thursday, but I guess I'll say it here for this Thursday. Uh, for this Thursday possession Thursday, uh, it's another chronicle in the track stories at the Ozark Community Center. Of course, I alluded to it in one of our previous Thursday possession Thursdays that there was a lady that just consistently walks on the outside lane. Though, 
You know, I've just I've kind of gotten over that now. I can't change her. She can't change me. It's just it is what it is. But what I experienced last week was just total and utter just incompetence. Like oh god, it oh, it grilled me to the bone. It made me so infuriated at the time and Thankfully, it has been a week because if it if if it were last Thursday, I'd be going off the walls right now, in my opinion, because it made me so mad. So, at the community center, of course, we well established it has a track that goes around the gym. You walk it, you know, you run it, whatever. So on certain days, you're supposed to walk it clockwise and counterclockwise. So, I believe it was on Tuesday or Thursday, you walk it counterclockwise. Now, I can't remember which date it was initially, but I was down on the gym floor playing some pickup ball with a bunch of old grown-up men. Just, you know, pick up, you know, it is what it is. You run up and down the floor, take some shots, get get some exercising. Get your workout in without actually working out. Right. So, at around 6.30, some old man who is a regular there, Walks to walks up to the track and starts walking clockwise whenever he should be walking counterclockwise. And I'm thinking, you know what? You know, I'm down here on the floor. You know, it's one guy. It's, you know, who cares? I'll tell him, you know, whenever I go up there to the track to finish my workout. So I finished my games. We won the final 15 by two game. You know, you get to 15 and you got to win by two. And then everybody disperses. And I go to the track to do some laps. Because I myself force myself to run laps on the track for every missed shot I make. Mm-hmm. And I miss a lot of shots. So, <laughs> I run a lot. So, when I get up there, there's a second old man walking clockwise. And I think to myself, okay, you know, he saw this because uh, he saw the first old man walking it clockwise, so I'll just run a lap in counterclockwise motion, and they'll, like, look at the sign and say, oh, you know what, you know, it's it's counterclockwise, I'll, I'll, I'll go whatever. So I run my lap, and as I'm passing these two guys, they're talking to each other, I, say, I run while running, say, hey, it's counterclockwise, and I finish my lap. I kid you not, I see both of these old men look directly eye contact, full eye contact, directly at the sign, they look at it and continue to walk clockwise. And they continue to do it for a good 20 to 25 minutes and they continue to talk to each other while I'm still running my laps. And I just look like a total belligerent idiot because I'm running it the right way while these two guys are are walking it the wrong way. And it made me so so mad because it then brought up like narratives of mine that I think of of just like you know don't do the right thing just do what everyone else is doing you know don't do what you're asked do what everyone else is doing and it made me so mad because these these are old men I I can understand if you're like a kid that's my age or an adult that's my age or just a kid that's just being totally belligerent and not following rules but these are old men you guys have been here you guys know this you like these guys are regulars and they just don't Give a you-know-what. They don't give a hoot. I would say the word I'm thinking of right now, but I'd have the FCC banging on my door, 
getting ready to escort me out to FCC jail. FBI, open up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, FBI, open up. <laughs> Something like that. But it made me so mad. And, you know, honestly, it was a blessing in disguise because I got more motivation to run in that. So I ran a little bit more than I regularly should have. But uh, just totally incompetent. Just totally insensitive. Just uh, look. They look at the sign. They look at it. And they just think, uh, F this. I'll just continue to walk clockwise. Because, you know, they're not going to do anything about it. Like I said, they're two old men. You think, like, a, a counter lady at 7 in the morning is going to walk up there and tell them to walk, you know, clockwise? Right. <sighs> and like I said, thankfully this is on this Thursday. Because if it were last Thursday, I'd be screaming at the top of my lungs. I'd be... I'd have a... Uh, noise complaint from the building off to our right here, the <laughs> bank, because I'd be that loud in this enclosed studio. Some, some people just want to watch the world burn. I know. And one of these guys was a veteran. Like, he he had, like, a... a he always wears this, like, Navy veteran hat. Where I'm just like, yeah, dude, thank you for your service, but that doesn't give you the right to be a total, you know, ass in front of the public and not follow instructions. You know, why do I have to follow rules when no one else does? It, like that kind of thing. Yeah. <sighs> it made me infuriated. It really did. But I'm glad I got that off my chest. That's good, man. Thus, another session of Therapy Session Thursday. Oh, man. All right. I think it's about time we wrap this one up. What we talk about today? We talk about college football. Actually, no, we start off with the lack of Chiefs football that's been being played right now. Stay out of that Dan Sorensen burnt toast or else your stomach's going to be croaky again. Talked about Iowa Hawkeye football, which is good for the stomach, good for the mind, good Always to talk good. about. Always good for the stomach. Uh-huh. Then we talked some postseason baseball. Of course, game five is tonight. Los Angeles at San Francisco. First pitch at 8.07. You going to watch any of it? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to have to do some game prep, certainly. That's true because you have a Friday night game, of course, tomorrow. Yeah, and I've been... Sick for the last three days, so I found out when I got into the studio this morning what game I was doing. So I had I had no idea prior to about, I don't know, an hour and a half ago what game I was doing. So now that I have an idea, I need to I need to sit down and, and get on that. So Right. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll do my I'm gonna do my best to to catch as excuse me, catch as much of the game as I can. Yeah, yeah. I have a game myself tonight. I'm doing some softball in Neosho, which is like an hour and a half southwest of here. It's like right on that like border of uh, southwest Missouri, uh, closer to like that Oklahoma. Actually, no, it's a little bit more so. It's a little bit more towards Arkansas than it is like Oklahoma and Kansas. Mm. But I'm doing that game tonight. Then I have to go back to said Neosho on Friday and do my Willard versus Neosho game. And then the day after that, I travel up to Bolivar to do SBU football as they get or as they look for their first win at home this season. The Bearcats, of course, coming off a big 55, put up a 50-burger, Logan. Yes, sir. Against the William Jewell Cardinals from Liberty, Missouri. Unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, William Jewell. I grew up 20 minutes from William Jewell High School, and I am not shocked at all. You in college? By that statement, yeah. Yeah. I grew up about 20 minutes. Yeah, it's in Liberty. Right. Which is about 20 minutes from my house. So, right. I am not surprised. 
yep. to hear that William Jewell football let up a 50-burger. Yeah, 55 to 10 was the final score. Cooper Kaus, the SBU quarterback, threw for over 500 yards and six touchdowns, both school records. That fits. Dude's a stud. And the offense that SBU runs, it's so fun to watch. They do a lot of RPOs, a lot of – it's pretty much West Coast as you can get. They rarely run the ball. They pass the ball to run the ball, basically, in essence. And it's fun to watch, but it hasn't led to wins, at least at home yet. They've gotten two wins thus far. They've, they won at Lake Erie College up at, you know, Lake Erie. And then they won, like I said, last Saturday at SBU or at, at William Jewell against the Cardinals, but they haven't won at home. They've lost to Texas Permian Basin at home. They've lost to Finley, University of Finley at home. And then they lost to UND, which is a very good GLVC school. They lost that game 77-10. to Oof. Yeah, not good. But they have a chance to get their first home win against Truman State this upcoming Saturday. All right, I think we've exhausted our time and some here on the Rookie Sports Board Podcast. We're reaching the hour and 41-minute mark here of this show. So it's always been a good show. Always a good time talking sports with you, dude. Absolutely. Glad to be back. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you feel better. And hopefully you don't have that five-letter virus that I told you you might have a couple of days ago. No, I don't think so. Okay, hope, let's hope so. But, hey, we're, we've been vaccinated, so we're good. True. We're good. And this podcast has been good. I think it's a good time to call it a wrap. For Matthew Rizal and Logan Weber, we'll talk to you guys on Friday. Hey, if you watch ASMR videos, you deserve to be institutionalized.